Hey everyone, welcome. This is the second half of a conversation I had with Tim Bailey and Brian Bailey, they aren't related by the way, about the recently leaked Supreme Court opinion that would have the effect of overturning Roe v. Wade if it actually stands when it is officially released. Now, in the Roe v. Wade opinion, the justices tried to make the case that the laws opposing abortion on the books at the time were there to protect the health and life of the mother. When we enter into the conversation in this episode, Tim is pointing out that no, actually, the state laws on the books at the time of Roe v. Wade were not there primarily to protect the life of the mother. They were there primarily to protect the life of the unborn child. This is a very important topic for Christians to understand, so thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. And so we need to be aware that the arguments have even gone to the point of whether or not there should be laws that protect an unborn child. And I, what I just read shows that. Mm. No, 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 those laws, Roe v. Wade, those laws were to protect the health of the mother. And, you know, no, actually, they were to protect the unborn child. And of course, that's going to be one of the fault lines with every, every state mm-hmm. is whether or not the state laws that are passed are aimed at protecting the life of the unborn mm. or simply trying to adjudicate some spectrum, some continuum of relative risk mm-hmm. and you know stuff like that and attribute value to an unborn child at a certain point because the mother feels the quickening, yeah. which is what it, so could you open that up for us, Brian, the, the spectrum of what conservative and liberal states might do? They can go back to the kinds of exercises the Supreme Court has been doing and weighing this and that policy or this or that restriction. And they can use those uh, restrictions and not prohibit or criminalize abortion in the main. Mm -hmm. They can just try to make it look like they're doing their due diligence and and protecting the health of, of the mother. They can be on that continuum, that part of the continuum to all out restriction. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no, no abortion permitted mm-hmm. you know, from the moment of conception. And so we can expect, you know, the Eastern Seaboard and, and the Western California, Washington, Oregon, Troika, Chicago, Illinois. Mm-hmm. We can expect liberal states who put Biden in office, President Biden to uh, do as much legislation protecting women in their states from having any squelching of their freedom to kill their unborn child to maybe Louisiana, maybe Indiana. It's hard to say. Having the highest level of protections Mm. for the unborn child. Mm -hmm. So you really can look at it as a seesaw where the liberals will be primarily interested in passing legislation protecting the mother's right to kill her child, to conservatives protecting the child's life life from a mother that wants to kill him. One thing the opinion cites in a couple of different places is that there are 26 states that had filed briefs with the Supreme Court on this decision asking that Roe versus Wade be overturned. Mm. What we don't know is, well, we'll take Mississippi as an example because that's the statute that was under judicial review. Yep. So they had a, they said 15 weeks, no, nothing after 15 weeks. Well, now that Roe is gone, do they go back and do they say yeah. six weeks? Mm. Do they go back and do they say conception? Mm-hmm. We, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. In, in the coming years, what their will is. What kind of uh, impact, though, is this going to have just on our legal system in general to have some states potentially criminalize as the taking of life uh, that it is abortion and other states to say that it's not? I mean, it seems like it's... Can't... I want to go back to your general remark. Okay. Because that's a tell to me. Language is so important. Mm-hmm. 
And what it shows is that those of us who are most committed to the unborn child, you have what, how many children? I have seven children. Including a severely handicapped child. Yep. All right. You are feeling the intimidation factor that this brings into our public life as Christians. Yeah. And gentle is an indication of that, not that you were commending them because they're gentle, but you wanted to make sure that people understood why there's such support Mm -hmm. for crisis pregnancy centers. Okay. What we have to understand is that Roe, for instance, Roe said, quote, that there were many states where women couldn't, quote, be prosecuted for self-abortion. And in fact, at the time, 17 states did incriminate the woman's participation in her own abortion. Now, what we have to understand at this point when it comes to state law is that probably the most sensitive and important issue is how the, how the electorate views the relative sensitivity and gentleness with which pro-life legislation handles women. Mm. That's going to be the issue because nobody wants to be viewed as being hard-nosed about women, especially pregnant women. And so let me be hard-nosed and say, I have always said that the only thing that feminism is given to women actually is it's taken away their moral agency. Mm. They're no longer moral agents. And it's the height of hilarity that that really is what feminism has done for women. Mm -hmm. You know, and the fact is Christians need to understand that nobody's going to be in favor of calling for women to be punished, to be criminalized for killing their unborn child. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say point blank, if we are unwilling to say that that is murder, Mm -hmm. whether she does it herself or hires an assassin, Mm-hmm. that that is murder and that that woman is a murderer. If we're unwilling to say that, nothing's going to go well. All we're going to do is trim the edges yep. of the slaughter of the unborn. Okay, mm-hmm. that is a very important thing to say. Mm-hmm. Until we have faith that God has made men and women equal mm-hmm. because they <laughs> both have the Agency. image of God. Yep. And they will both stand before the judgment seat of God. Mm-hmm. Until Christians believe in the glory of women, in the glory of their souls, in their beauty as life givers, until we really restore the, the nature of womanhood, including mm-hmm. her moral agency and how she lives with her unborn child. Okay? Yeah. What we'll be doing is flinching. And in battles like this, <laughs> you don't want to flinch. You can't flinch. Because people do what you expect them to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're apologetic about having any penalties for abortion that redound to the woman, mm-hmm. then what you're doing is saying, well, the women can't really be expected to nurture life and mm-hmm. you know that's really a lifestyle choice and you know i don't want to be a man who's telling women what to do and right and it's just going to be awful or it's it's implied that they have no agency and they're just yeah they're subject to all external pressures and they can't make a decision that's moral to preserve their that's right that's, child. that's why i think that the answer should be if you're in that kind of a debate is well i actually believe that women have moral agency you know, I actually think women have, you know, are equal with men. You know, I, I, I think I think the answer is to be on the offensive in that regard. Can we please restore the moral agency of women? <laughs> and I'm real serious in saying yeah. that because it will get people laughing. Yeah. Because they'll think, are you serious? <laughs> what? Well, you know. That's interesting. Yeah. He's kind of right. Yeah. How did that happen? I never saw that, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Now, the second thing is, let's say that people are willing at the point of surgical abortion and mifepristone and mm-hmm. uh, Medicaid mm-hmm. abortion that's at the end of the first trimester. Let's say that people are saying, yeah, you know, we're, we're up for that. We're up for criminalizing that, both with doctors and and." 
pharmacists, pharmacists, mm. the Kroger pharmacist in your church. Yeah, yeah. We're up for criminalizing them distributing. Well, what is immediately going to happen is it's going to go on to the internet. Mm -hmm. I read today a, a law, I mean, a medical journal article talking about uh, it was, I actually, I think it was in JAMA. I think it was in the, the Journal of the American, Med no, not JAMA. It might've been the New England Journal of Medicine. But anyhow, the article was sometime in the last couple of months saying that that mifepristone and misopropyl and uh, Medicaid abortions, which are prostaglandin, anyhow, that these things have now become safe enough that they don't need any visit that's clinical. Wow. They don't need to see a doctor. It's time for us to change our protocol with these drugs. <sighs> well, then that completely puts them on the internet. You know, you can mm -hmm. have a doctor there in Zoom yeah. and it's, and yeah. it's done. Wow. It's anonymous, essentially. Mm -hmm. So let's say that we have the will in a number of conservative states to go ahead and criminalize uh, abortions that are surgical mm -hmm. and abortions that are what are called uh, Medicaid abortions or medical abortions from those drugs. Those are later. Mm -hmm. Even if that happens, yep. the majority of abortions will continue to be performed. Yeah. Now this is where listeners are are not going to like what we're going to say. Mm -hmm. As I was listening to you talk about pharmacists, what's fascinating if you if you read through these abstracts of the of the statutes mm. is up front, it, it's the first thing mentioned is the medicine hmm. that's prohibited. So this is an Indiana law from 1835 that every person who shall willfully administer to any pregnant woman any medicine, drug, substance, or thing, whatever, hmm. or shall use or employ any instrument or other means, whatever, with intent thereby to procure the miscarriage of any such woman, unless the same shall have been necessary to preserve the life of such woman, shall upon conviction be punished by imprisonment in the county jail any term of time not exceeding 12 months, and be fined any sum not exceeding five hundred dollars, hmm. and so the the first thing that's mentioned there is the pharmacist. Wow! Uh, you, you don't get to the instrument until a, a while down, and so where Tim's going with this is the abortifacient nature of birth control methods that Christians use, including the birth control pill. Mm. And if that has an abortifacient effect, it's causing abortions. We don't know how many. We've, in a paper that... How do you know that's true, though? It's no secret when it comes to pharmaceuticals, when it comes to the notes they put in with medicines, when it comes to continuing education courses for pharmacists. Anybody who goes online and simply Googles Abortifacient agency and hormonal birth control will come up with reading they can do for the next three months. Okay. And that's how clear it is. And the only reason that we have to produce citations, we produce a ton of them in the paper, mm -hmm. is that pastors have denied this. And that's because pastors want to scratch the itching ears of their people who feel that they can't maintain their lifestyle option if they have a horde of children. Mm -hmm. And so since about the 1950s, whole hog the most conservative christians have jumped into the practice of limiting their pregnancies and the main way they've done that has not been withdrawal and it hasn't been condoms mm -hmm. it has been the birth control pill iud's patches there's just a whole host of different apparatus yeah. but the thing that people listening need to know is any hormonal method of birth control including ECPs, morning after pills, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of them have an abortifacient agency that everybody in the industry agrees to.
Okay. Everybody. But how often do, do we have any well, idea on Well, yeah, it, it varies. Like, for instance, you have breakthrough pregnancies with different kinds. There's basically three kinds of IUDs. Mm-hmm. It can vary by the, the, the nature of IUD. I remember asking an ob guy that was on our Presbyterians Pro-Life many years ago, probably 25, 30 years ago. I remember asking, it was from Cincinnati, whether there was an abortifacient agency, because at that time, you know, as a pastor, I wasn't, you know, and he said, no. And I said, seriously, I, I, my reading tells me there is. Hmm. What had happened was I had an elder at my church who was a pharmacist. Yep. And this would have been back in about 1984. Mm-hmm. And one day he had not thought much about being pro-life and he knew I was adamantly committed adamantly and one of the reasons is i had two brothers alive at that time one had cystic fibrosis one had a hemophilia if you read any literature about uh diagnosis in the womb of the fetus you'll find out that high on the list of things that people want to test for is cystic fibrosis and hemophilia so that the babies can be aborted Mm. and my denomination at that time mentioned cf and hemophilia as reasons why abortion needed to be justified and needed to be available to people, wow. okay? Mm-hmm. And they actually mentioned CF and hemophilia in the church documents. And so this is part of why I'm sort of rabidly pro-life, <laughs> because when I read that, I thought, this is David and Nathan. Right. No, yeah. you know, I love them, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Sort of a guttural response. Well, anyhow, he brought to me one night, he said, Tim, you'll be interested in It was a continuing education curriculum he was going through, required as a pharmacist. And I just talked about the abortifacient agency of hormonal methods of birth control. Hmm. It's just, that was part of the continuation, continuing education of a pharmacist back in 1984, 85. Hmm. And so you say, well, we've got to produce citations. Well, the reason you're saying that is that this is the best kept secret in the United States of America mm-hmm. on the part of Christians. We're the ones that are yeah. most vehemently protective to keep this information from our people. Well, not the pastors have denied it, but they've also been coy about it. I mean, sort of saying, well, we're not really sure. And or they say, there. well, it's a justified risk. I mean, on the one hand, you could have your children not have a good education. And on the other hand, you could take a slight risk with taking the birth control pill. And, you know, all things considered considered, you know, let's go ahead and make sure we have enough money to send our kids to a good school. Mm. And I've had a pastor say almost that exact thing to me. You know, he said to me, you know, because I called him because he was promoting the pill. Mm -hmm. And I called him, I said, do you have any realization of what you're doing? You know, the abortifacient agency of these things. It's not very frequent, but it is there very Mm -hmm. clearly. He said, well, you know, Tim, you know, if you get in the car and you drive to church with your children. Mm-hmm. There's a possibility you'll kill them. Life has risks. You know, of course, immediately people hear uh, an absolutely ridiculous casuistry from a man like that. You know, well, you, you know, you could have an accident. And your children could die mm-hmm. on the way to church. And they go, well, yeah. I mean, it's a small risk. And it's a small risk going to church. And don't we embrace risk? You know, this is what people who are susceptible to that kind of what would you call it logically that you know that kind of cheap chop logic mm-hmm. you know i mean it's so clear to anybody who is a lover of life that such a man saying such a thing is lacking in the godliness department because you don't say things like that if you love how God has made woman. Let me give an analogy. Uh, amniocentesis uh, w- became the standard of practice back in about 1970. Mm. And it was specifically the standard of practice to do it when you had a woman who was carrying a child after the age of 35 because of the mm. high, much higher possibility of her being carrying a Down syndrome or various other uh, genetic uh, problems. Yeah. And so they have amniocentesis. Well, are you going to have it? Because what are you going to do? 
And so now we're at the point in Canada and the United States where over 90% of children that are diagnosed with Down syndrome in the world oh, yeah. are killed. Yeah. And that is the reason you do amniocentesis. And it is the standard of care. So Christian OB-GYNs yeah. are having amniocentesis done with people like that because it's the standard of care. They're obligated to follow the standard of care because of their liability to lawsuits if they don't. Mm. Okay. Now, Here's the interesting thing, though. If you read the medical literature, you'll find out that at that time for a number of years, I think even through 1985, you had eh, somewhere around a 1% possibility of harming the baby when you did an amniocentesis. Wow. Hmm. Okay, well, what mother, if you give her a 1% chance of harming her child by giving her an amniocentesis, and she knows she's not going to have an abortion, is going to say, well, yeah, go ahead, stick it in there. Right. No, yeah. I mean, how are... would freeze <laughs> yeah. for a mother who has felt that child because amniocentesis has to be done fairly late in pregnancy. Mm. And so she has a relationship with that child. Mm -hmm. She massages that child. That child feels heat radiating from her hand. Mm. That mother is not tolerating a small risk mm. to her child. Yeah. And so when people say, well, you know, the real reason that that carries any weight at all with anybody is that people are dismissive of life that they can't perceive. Whereas a porpoise or whales can go, <laughs> and they perceive that as being maybe a cry of pain or love or yeah, yeah. happiness, mm -hmm. you know? And that's how trivial we are. Yeah. We don't care that God placed manhood in his son at the moment of his conception by the Holy Spirit, and we don't care that God does that with our children. Until our children have been given, bestowed upon them life mm. by our perceptions and judgments and values, it doesn't matter what God has done. Mm. And so the real reason that argument carries water is that your wife has not yet felt that baby and begun to massage that baby. And so, yeah, you think, well, you know, if, if we make love and our method of birth control constitutes us using a drug that keeps that baby from being able to successfully attach himself to the womb of his mother, mm -hmm. where he is fed and protected. Mm -hmm. Well, but we don't see him. We don't hear him. Nobody's written an account of how it happened or didn't. Right, we'll never know. And so the endometrium is a pretty clinical statement, you know, mm. word. And so that's, that's how such a callous disregard for life gets its weight with us, mm. is that we just couldn't give a rip about children until we perceive their existence, and certainly not before implantation. And that's where all the killing goes on in the church. Mm -hmm. All the killing goes on in the first week to two of life, mm -hmm. and particularly the first week. And we don't care. We don't care that God has created a life and blessed a couple with it. If that life, couple doesn't, doesn't want that life, mm -hmm. and that couple renders the endometrium inhospitable to this little precious child, and it's horrible. And this this opinion really doesn't isn't going to have any impact on that med medical pills you take or anything. Correct to the extent that they're aware of that issue. Mm -hmm. You mean the Supreme Court? Yeah, the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's not addressed in this decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not only is it not addressed in the decision, there are no legislators in any of the states who could give a rip. Mm-hmm about little ones that God has made that are sloughed off by drugs that make the womb refuse to let that baby attach. Hmm. Well, and so that's a, that's a big part of the significance of this paper that you and other men are yeah, working we, on. Yeah, the paper is 65,000 words, which is a fairly substantial book. <laughs> yeah. And page after page after page after page after page deals with this issue mm -hmm. because Christians have cultivated ignorance about it. Yeah. And I told you earlier, we went off mic because 
oh, I'm so tired of talking and writing about this. But listen, the American College of OB-GYNs back in the 60s, and we give the whole dialogue about it, mm-hmm. they changed the definition of conception so that they could use the birth control pill and other things because people knew that they caused implantation to not be achievable. Mm. And so they changed, the American College of OB-GYNs changed the terminology of conception from fertilization to implantation. Mm -hmm. And if there's ever a smoking gun, that's it. Why would they do that? Well, because they wanted to be able to kill little ones without mothers knowing they were doing it. And so they, mm-hmm. this is, and to this day, the New York Times, you'll read them saying this. Well, these things don't cause abortions because they work by preventing implantation and a child isn't conceived until implantation. Now, they won't be that clear about right, it. Right. But this is what all the literature does. All the literature has ever since the 60s when the American College of OB Gynes change the definition of conception this has been the rubric under which christians have cultivated their ignorance about the first week of life Mm. and so you're not going to have legislators governors saying look if we're going to protect life can we please protect it from when it begins at the moment of conception and people are going to say well that's what we're doing you know no 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 you're 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 protecting it from the moment of implantation mm-hmm. you're not protecting it from the moment of conception so then what are christians going to do say well i don't believe and there's a pharmacist at the church that i served when i first came to bloomington i remember walking next to him in the hallway as soon as i got there and i said what are you going to do when the drugs take over the abortions you know are you going to fulfill this prescriptions he said no no no, I'm committed. Well, now that pharmacist, and he's said this publicly, he's changed his definition of life so that mm-hmm. it doesn't start for the first couple of weeks. And so I, don't, I think he's probably retired now. Yeah. But so that for a number of years, he went ahead and participated in the killing of unborn children. He knew precisely what he was doing. Hmm. And he changed his definition of when life began. And this is what Christians all over the country are doing is we are damned certain that we will not return to what all previous centuries of the church did Mm. which is to welcome life Mm -hmm. and to to be thankful to god when he gave it to us Mm. and we're so stingy we're so wealthy yeah we have so much food and so much space and so much education and we even have so many (laughs) band-aids (laughs) <laughs> our kids can get cut and we can put band-aids on them yeah and we just will not allow god to show the glory of our wives mm. she shall be called eve mm. and so no wonder the church is filled with so many bitter and angry women mm. because we as men don't love the gift of life yeah it, it really is requires a change of thinking about families, about manhood and womanhood, what it means to be a dad. I mean, we've given up all those things as a culture and even as a Christian subculture. And yeah, we, we've we've Christians have been converted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear me? Christians have been converted. We have been converted <laughs> to paganism. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And what we need is to become Christians because I do not believe that a man is a Christian who denies the fundamental nature of manhood and womanhood Mm. and who is willing to countenance the killing of a child that God has created and placed in the womb of his wife. Mm -hmm. If that is what it means to be a Christian and it's just something about which Christians disagree, then I'm insane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're all insane. You've been opening up the the doctrine of anthropology and manhood and womanhood. When does life begin? And and we have, we have learned over the years that that's where the attack is Mm. of the evil one attacking the church and attacking the world. And what we've been learning is that a, 
this is the doctrine that's under attack today. Mm-hmm. And B, the church leads the world. And we, we as Christians don't think that. We, we think that the world leads the church. But, and this is something that, that's fascinating about the paper, is the degree to which the church was influencing even the culture of the, the late 60s and early 70s that Roe versus Wade comes out of. Mm. When you look at the, the polls of the Baptists and whether they favored uh, the availability of abortion in Texas. And it, it's yeah, just. SBC. It's just fascinating. Hmm, and, the SBC and, helped to lead the legalization of abortion. And, wow. and, and so these truths are, are essential to being a thinking, living Christian today. Hmm. We have to know these things. And until we restore our commitment to stand at the places of the gap in the wall. That's right. And it, it actually leads me to a question bring, coming, bringing us back to this opinion. Because I've seen on social media a lot of uh, liberals in particular very concerned about what this opinion might mean for these other issues about anthropology in our country, Obergefell being the primary example. What do you think, what kind of an impact will this have on other cases? Well, the opinion is very careful Mm. to say no effect on those other cases. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) It says in a couple of different places that this issue concerns the question of when does life begin or what is potential life. Mm. And because that question has been debated or it's been legislated Mm -hmm. for centuries, that this is something special. Mm. Abortion is something special that they can uh, pronounce definitively on in this opinion without affecting homosexual marriage, mm. without affecting... Uh, actually, they they say in this opinion... I, I was mistaken earlier. They actually say that prior cases that had constitutionalized birth control, mm. those cases still stand. Hmm. That if... So... Uh, there, I think it was the Griswold case in the late 60s said that married couples could could purchase birth control, that that, that birth control could not be criminalized mm. by the state. And then in the early 70s, they said unmarried um, people mm-hmm. couldn't get birth control. Mm-hmm. And so I, they're careful about that to preserve that opinion. What they don't say and I'm sure they realize, Mm. is that, of course, this reasoning applies to those other unconstitutional cases the Supreme Court has handed down, Mm. that they didn't have authority to rule on homosexual marriage or Burgerfell. Mm -hmm. And all those other cases, the Supreme Court has no authority to slap down state laws that, that are trying to promote righteousness you know, promote yeah, order right and so they're very careful to say don't worry we're yeah, not going yeah. to touch those other things i was talking to an appellate judge once who i was very close to and still have a good friendship with him but anyhow i remember him saying to me once and he was a very principled man uh, educated at harvard he said to me tim we make decisions based on the merits of the case. <laughs> and I was respectful towards him. He didn't burst out laughing. But no, at that point, I looked at him and I said, say his name is Tom. I said, Tom, no, you don't. <laughs> you do not. And of course, he was infuriated. Yeah. And I said, you make decisions based on what your political and moral commitments are. Mm. That's how you make decisions. And I bring that up here because I think that that's part of the problem with a two-kingdom theology, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, that you will not rebuke a judge in your church. Mm. You will not take to task the governor that you sit 
uh, <laughs> on his cabinet mm -hmm. because you see this as being uh, overstepping, a, yeah, overstepping the nature of the church. Yeah. And so that's part of what we're saying, that the church has to retain her moral authority. But the other reason I bring this up is at one point in the opinion, Alito makes reference to the fact that there's a long history of reversing important constitutional cases. Yeah. yeah. And from that flows a page and a half of citations of precedent overturning constitutional mm. decisions. Yeah. And immediately when Brian and I were talking, when it was released by Politico that night, remember, what we both saw was what is the first case that they list? The first one. The first one was a Burgerville. Mm. And so I think that in itself was an indication that they were tipping their hat to the fact that they were supportive of a Burgerville. Otherwise, I don't think they would have trotted it out and put it at the very top. Yes, and they and they say in the opinion they're not going to overturn decisions that affect intimate relations between people. Oh. And so it's just very clear. Well, and I wanted to say one other thing about this, which is they also make a big deal of the fact that the uh, that Roe v. Wade did not solve the uh, fragmentation mm. of our nation politically, that it has caused only more storm and drang, only more division, only more um, conflict in our country. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the reasons they give for wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so what I really think is going on is they have realized that this fault line is unsustainable long-term for the country. And so they're going to overturn this one, whereas their judgment is Obergefell has not created a fault line. That's the reason that Revoice Mm. is so important mm -hmm. because revoice and the grace of shame document the fact that the most conservative reform people yeah. have tipped their hat to the new constitution on homosexuality. Yeah. Al Mohler has made it clear that he's a part of the new deal mm. on sexuality. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, buy a copy of uh, the grace of shame. You can't get it with Amazon. They've censored it. But read it, mm -hmm. because this is what Revoice, and this is what Desiring God has done. Russ Moore, uh, Russell Moore has done this. Moore, the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors has mm -hmm. signed on to it. Yeah. And if you don't know these things, get a copy of The Grace of Shame, because you can't begin to know what the fault lines are and how the church has finessed its capitulation to Obergefell until you read the documentation of what actually is going on with Revoice and with Moeller and with his, his Guise of Gospel Coalition. The key thing to keep in mind here is that the abortion question is, you can't just look at it narrowly. It's yeah. very much part of the larger Landscape. question of anthropology, which is the question of who is man, what, what does it mean to be a man or a woman? And all of these things have been under attack in our country for a long time and abortion is just part of that battle and so we have to keep the whole landscape in mind and so we have to understand that the reason there is not a mounting opposition to obergefell to homosexual marriage to effeminacy to two gays living together who claim they're celibate mm -hmm. all of these things are the levels on which we're tipping our hat to the new constitution of the normalization of lgbtq plusism Right. Okay. And what we have to be aware of is that this opinion by Alito, if it comes released, it, if it becomes released and mm -hmm. is the opinion of the majority, yeah. what it is showing us is that the consistent witness of Christians against abortion has had an impact. And if we are going to cave to revoice, mm. to effeminacy, to homosexual marriage, if we are going to cave to, to, to minor children transitioning, mm -hmm. if all these things are just going to be bathroom bills. Yeah, bathroom. If all these mm -hmm. things we're going to give into, not now, mind you, I'm not trying to promote a culture war. Right. I'm trying to say it is in the church. Right, that we have to say no to these things because if we say no to them in the church, that salt and light will go everywhere. Mm -hmm. The problem is that these groups, Gospel Coalition, Mueller, 
desiring God, these places have all, the PCA, we have all given in, in the church, to the, to the, to the corruption of biblical sexuality and anthropology. Mm-hmm. And we've given in in the church in a way that's different from how we've given in in the world. So in the church, hypothetically, we take these abortifacient pills and various hormonal and stuff, IUDs, but we don't go down and have a surgical abortion. Right. Although right. we actually do. Yeah, many do. <laughs> you know, and, and so we have to be aware that when we have this opportunity – we can't continue to try to be nice people mm-hmm. as the world defines it. Right. Because it's gotten us nowhere. <laughs> it's when we've actually said, stop killing babies, mm-hmm. that it has given the strength. Remember, Brian, what Brian said that this courage from this law professor who is Roman Catholic, or actually a philosophy professor who is teaching constitutional law, he said it's murder. Mm-hmm. And Brian became a Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah. Can we please take up our cross and follow the Lord and start working, stop working for cheap, like. Right. The, the thing we have to remember that it's absolutely true that abortion has been all through our country, all through our churches. And so it's very painful to even bring up this topic with people that we love because They've had abortions, yeah, yeah. and but we can't forget the fact that it's actually through the through repentance that we receive the forgiveness <laughs> and mercy of God. What has been our greatest and joy, so, men? Yeah, no, so, no. Honestly, what is our oh, greatest joy as individuals? It's to hear a confession of sin and to. to but for us to repent, for us oh, yeah. to realize God's mercy to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then as elders and pastors, yes, to hear confessions mm-hmm. of faith. It's the highest calling. I had a guy call me who was a pastor a couple of days ago, and he was talking to me about a horrible situation that he's having to walk through. He's young, and it involves awful sin, mm-hmm. awful mm-hmm. sin. And just talking to him, one of the things that came up was the issue of how often it is that people in a family where there's a horrible sin that's committed in the family will sort of, um, how would I say it, hint. They'll hint yeah. to their pastor about going through, mm. say, a hard time. Yeah, right. Or that things are difficult at home. And how often we as pastors... Or they were difficult and now they're better or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how often we as pastors will send signals to them that tell them that we don't want to hear. No, yeah. We don't want to know. Yeah. When we ask you how you're doing, you're supposed to say fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in normal conversation, it is true that that is generally what you should say. All right. <laughs> but not with your shepherd. Yeah. And particularly not with your wrestling in your family with a horrible sin. Mm-hmm. All right. And I said to this young pastor, I said, you have to be very, very careful as you grow in ministry that you make it absolutely clear to your sheep that what you exist for is having them confess their sins to you Mm -hmm. so that you can bring the gospel to bear in their lives. Mm -hmm. And you don't want in any way to be sending signals that if you won't tell me, I won't ask. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet the temptation to do that as elders and pastors is huge, huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're just talking about the joy of repentance. Yes, if we deny that this is an abortion, but that isn't, that this is mm-hmm. a, a reasonable risk and that isn't, that this, 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 and this, what yeah. that's doing is that's throwing fog everywhere mm-hmm. over life and death yep. and giving plausible deniability and, mm-hmm. and embroidering on this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. But what it's really doing is communicating to the sheep, okay, that their soul does not matter to us. Hmm. and that all we ask of them is that they pay us 
<laughs> and that we will officiate at the Lord's Supper every single week, and they can bring their children to the Lord's Supper, and those children will be, and baptisms and and marriages and yep. death, and and we will have interesting observations, mm -hmm. and we will produce a decent uh, disposition on Sunday morning, which will leave them improved. <laughs> but i mean honestly yeah i'm sorry i've i've been preaching for the last 20 minutes but <laughs> i remember mother Teresa saying that abortion kills two people it kills the child and it kills the conscience of the mother mm -hmm. and when are we as pastors going to begin to care about the consciences of women mm. and often their husbands who made a conscious decision to use birth control and to have a surgical abortion and to buy morning after pills. I had a couple confess this to me the last couple of years, grown up in our church, um, and they confessed that they didn't want the baby, and they had good reason for not wanting the baby. Mm. If they were pregnant, they thought they might be, and so they took morning after pills. They confessed this to me in the mm. midst of a horrible situation of sin mm. in their lives that wasn't connected with this. And it's like it's it, it, it's it's a pastor's and it's an elder's privilege mm. to say to them, "This is why you just told me that," and that's horrible. Don't you ever do that again? Mm. Do you know how awful it is to have to face God, saying to Him, "I will not receive life." I will take that life because it isn't convenient to me. And, you know, people might think, well, that's abusing them if they've just told you they didn't. I say, no, no, no. It's all in the affect. It's all in the heart of the pastor. They knew I was loving them when I said those things to them. You know, they know I love them. Then you bring them to tell God that this was evil and to ask his forgiveness. And then if you confess your sins, He's not only faithful to forgive him, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. But you can't get there if you're blathering on yeah. about relative risks and all this other stuff. Do you really think your people don't have a living conscience just because yours is attenuated at minimum? <laughs> you know. Well, I, I think that's one of the most significant issues there is having a tender conscience, and it can feel very difficult to maintain a tender conscience i mean in in the in light of the overwhelming nature of the sin um and the fact that it's just everywhere in the church we've all participated in one way or another uh in in the sin through all kinds of sexual sins but i'd like to can i say one other thing about the paper the paper is very long it goes into all these things mm -hmm. it has endless citations that are interesting it treats all facets of this it gives a history and it's written for us to help us think through mm -hmm. and when this decision came down i shouldn't call it a decision but the, the, i guess that's how we're talking about it uh, Brian, Brian and I were talking, immediately we said, no, actually, this doesn't make our paper moot. Yeah. It actually is perfect. Would you explain that just for a second? Yeah, so the paper goes through the different ways that we Christians have used birth control that have had abortifacient properties, and what Roe is doing, or what this leaked opinion is doing, is it's it's basically saying we're not going to strike down state restrictions on surgical abortions. And what the paper shows is that, well, that's part of the battle, mm -hmm. but that's not the whole battle. And it maybe it's not the majority of the battle in mm -hmm. terms of where the killings are taking place or what, mm -hmm. what agencies we're using to kill our children. Yeah. And so this paper is, 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 it's perfect timing. Mm -hmm. This decision's perfect timing. One, because everyone is aware of it. Yeah. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Two, because there's no, we're not going to, we've not taken the hill. Yeah. There's a lot of work left. To there's do. a lot of work left to do. There are more, there are more hills mm -hmm. to take, yeah. many more hills to take or to, to try to take. And so this is perfect timing. And we, we see that, it's God's 
providence mm-hmm. uh, that he he's had men working on this issue for many decades of their ministry mm-hmm. and then to bring together these men to write this paper that started last fall yeah uh, and th- these men have been working on it so uh, diligently and it, it's it's just amazing any idea when i mean our presbytery meeting is june 3rd i think or june 2nd something like that we are going to make a recommendation to the presbytery that it commend for publication what is what is essentially a book yeah yeah and with some work that's going to need to be done still particularly in regard to this leaked opinion yeah because yeah. We do mention Roe. We in should there. incorporate it. I mean, there's no, there's no reason to publish yes. without that. <laughs> yeah, it, except reviewing sixty-five thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which of well, course you won't have to. do. <laughs> That's true. Easy for me to say. <laughs> yeah. So the, the idea, if, if the uh, the men of the Presbytery approve, is is to commend the mm-hmm. book for publication, and then at some point abstract from that work that, that this, these men have done a statement that the presbytery yeah. can adopt. That's, that's a summary of, of doctrine and um, convictions mm-hmm. of the presbytery and the churches in the presbytery. Sweet. Well, Brian, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks today. for having me. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening. We love feedback a lot. So please let us know what you think about this and any of our other episodes over at sanity.warhornmedia.com. Aside from feedback about our episodes, there's a lot of good conversations over there, so check it out. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Brian Bailey. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.